Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, everybody, how's your Bible reading going? Are you reading your Bible? What did you read? Did anybody read the Bible today? What did you read today, Katie? Yeah, today we read, if you're doing the uh, chronological Bible reading with us, we've been reading about Solomon's temple and the building of the temple, so we read about that today. What about the rest of you? What are you reading in your Bibles? Anyone? Anyone? Luke? Reading the Gospel of Luke? What's your plan, Gary? You, are you guys reading like a chapter a day or just... Oh, good. Yeah, Gary's saying that he's reading his uh, along with Ralph Davis, Dale Ralph Davis, who's got a commentary on it. Oh, good. Exodus, table talk. Good, good, good. What else? What else are you reading in your Bible? Acts. Oh, the book of Acts. Good, good, good. Now, Kathy, do you know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke, yes. It's kind of a... The gospel according to Luke is sort of part one, and Acts is part two. Good. Anybody else? What are you reading in your Bible? Anybody? First Chronicles. Oh, okay. John. Good. Well, let me encourage you. Be uh, in the Word, reading the Word. Uh, there are a lot of great plans available out there. Um, I read mine every morning on the... Uh, you version app you can download that it's for free and uh, I'm doing the chronological plan which lasts the whole year but there are other shorter plans so if you're not reading the Bible right now and you want to just jump in with like a five-day plan or a seven-day plan uh, those are free you can download it just right to your phone and read it right on your phone super convenient and then you can interact with other people it's, it's really helpful Okay, well, we are continuing to walk through our study in the Minor Prophets as we go through the Bible book by book. And today, we are come to the book of Habakkuk. Who here has, have you ever read the book of Habakkuk? Just some of you, all of you, some, okay. Um, we're going to study that book today, Learning to Live by Faith. Okay, first question. How many of you love to have arguments? Anyone? <laughs> no, you're not allowed to speak for your wife, Frank. <laughs> How about this? How many of you love courtroom dramas? Any of you? Courtroom dramas? I'm a courtroom drama guy. I've been uh, reading, um, oh goodness, Michael Connolly's Lincoln Lawyer uh, series, so courtroom dramas there. How many of you like spelling very difficult words? Anyone? Well, if you love arguments, courtroom dramas, and or spelling difficult words, then you are going to love the book of Habakkuk. If you don't like arguments, courtroom dramas, or difficult to spell words, the book of Habakkuk, 1B, double Ks, might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Two-thirds of the book is an argument between the prophet Habakkuk and God. Somebody read Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4.
Okay, those are some very forceful accusations that Habakkuk is making against God. Uh, he's essentially saying, why aren't you doing your job, God? Why aren't you listening to our prayers? Why aren't you stopping all of the wickedness and injustice that we see in the, in the world? Uh, do you ever talk to God that way? Do you, do you think it's right to talk to God that way? What do you think? David did in the Psalms. He often spoke that way. What about you? Do you feel comfortable talking to God that way when you pray? No? Why not? <laughs> right. It seems a little bit uncomfortable to question God because who am I to question God? So why, if that is true, and it is, that God is God and we are not, and that his ways are above our ways, and that we need to submit to God and understand God, why does the Bible have so many instances in the prophets and in the Psalms and the wisdom literature of people speaking this way to God, very forcefully to God? Why do you think? Yes, Deb? Yeah, did you did y'all hear that? It's that God wants to have a relationship with us, and God is a, a real being. And so if we're going to have a real relationship with him, we're going to speak openly and honest to him. Gary, what do you think? So they, they know who God is. They know that if we cry out to God, he'll respond. And so they're, they're doing this based on a track record of God's faithfulness, right? Yeah, I mean, good. Good point. Kathy, what do you think? That's a good point, that boldness is a sign of reverence. And by saying, how long will you not deliver us? You are acknowledging that God is able to deliver us. And you're just saying, hey, do this now. Uh, fulfill this promise. You know, we, we wait for you to do it. We're, we're calling upon you to do it, believing that you can. <coughs> Did I see another hand over here? Cindy, what do you think? 
Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, that if, if this was sort of a book that was constructed as sort of propaganda, then we would have nobody ever arguing with God and no one would ever sinning and everyone in the book would be like, they all were perfect. And they all, just, you know, that would be sort of, if you were a, a, a writing a, inventing a religion, you would have the leaders of the religion and the founders of the religion be perfect, uh, not have any doubts, not have any questions, but this is a, a real experience of us in life. I think also another reason is that we are going to have our questions and complaints against God, whether spoken or not. And we can either speak them to God, which is the pattern of the Bible, or we could kind of uh, nurture them in, our, in the quiet of our heart, which is actually kind of toxic. Um, and so it's kind of like getting them out in prayer, taking our questions, taking our fears, even taking our seemingly uh, seeming objections to what is happening in the world to God is a much more healthy way to deal with those things. Yes? That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. It's an expression of the prophet's faith to speak this way. Gary, what do you think? On this side of the cross and the resurrection, we have a, a clearer vision of how the story ends. So maybe that that tempers our, our crying out as opposed to with the prophets who had who knew that God would win, but maybe not quite as clearly. Uh, the, the apostle Peter says that they saw things in kind of shadows. They didn't quite fully understand. They longed to look into these things, which we see so much clearly through the lens of, of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and uh, victory over, over sin and Satan and death and all of this, right? Good. All right, well, let's, let's jump into the book a little bit. Um, let's talk about the author and date of the book of Habakkuk. In chapter 1, we are told that this is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So we know that it's Habakkuk. We know he's a prophet. Later, we're told that, cha told that chapter 3 is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. So again, um, we have no doubt to recognize that Habakkuk is the ultimate author of this book. Now, the name Habakkuk means embrace in Hebrew, but the word could also refer to a type of plant in Akkadian. What type of plant? Probably not a cactus because nobody wants to embrace a cactus. Okay, that was funnier in my head than when I said it out loud. <laughs> Okay, who was Habakkuk? Here are two interesting theories about who this guy was. Uh, some Jewish sources believe that he was the son of the Shunammite woman from 2 Kings 4, verse 16. Somebody read that. In your Bible or on the screen. And he said, 
So, so again, since the name Habakkuk means embrace, and Elisha said, you, this time next year you shall embrace your son, some have said, well, maybe that Habakkuk the prophet is the, the daughter of the Shunammite woman. We don't know for sure, but it's at least possible. Another theory is that Habakkuk is the prophetic watchman who mentioned in Isaiah 21, verse 6. So let me read Habakkuk 2, verse 1. So it's possible the prophet Habakkuk was the one prophesied by Isaiah, that he would be the watchman on the wall. Uh, Habakkuk was written during the time of the uh, Chaldean or Babylonian Empire. We're told that in 1 verse 6. Uh, scholars believe that the rise occurred sometime between uh, the rise of the, of the Chaldean Babylonian Empire occurred sometime between 625 BC when the Assyrian Empire began to decline and 604 BC when Nebuchadnezzar became king of Babylon. If those dates are correct, then Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, and possibly everyone's favorite prophet, the prophet Joel. We love Joel. Joel was a great guy. All right, let's do some literary analysis and look at kind of the outline of the book. Uh, it begins with a, the first argument. Remember, we said it's a series of arguments. That happens from chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 11. Uh, Habakkuk makes a complaint against God, and then God responds to him. Then we have the second argument. Again, Habakkuk makes his complaint, and then God responds to the complaint. Then we have a word of judgment against the Chaldeans, which is most of the end of chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, we have Habakkuk's prayer. He talks about a divine warrior. We've been talking about that as one of the major themes of the Old Testament prophets, particularly the minor prophets. And then Habakkuk's statement at the end that he will live by faith. Now, in the first argument, Habakkuk complains that God is letting sin go unpunished in Judah. God responds by saying that he's raising up the Chaldeans who will bring justice by destroying the people of Judah. Somebody read Habakkuk 1, verses 6 through 8. So, just first impressions of that. Does that seem like good news? No, it doesn't. Because remember that uh, the prophet Habakkuk, he's in Judah too. 
And so he's thinking, well, wait a minute. All right, that's uh, Habakkuk responds with even more outrage. He says, uh, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the, the man more righteous than he? In other words, how can this possibly be justice that we are going to be taken over by a nation that is quite possibly more wicked than our own nation? We're just trading one level of injustice, maybe like a two or three level of injustice, for a six or seven level of injustice, and that just doesn't seem right. God answers by promising to judge the unrighteous Babylonians. So I'm going to read back at 2, verse 8. So God is saying, he responds by saying, listen, the Chaldeans are going to come. They're going to be destroying you. They're going to be wiping out all of the injustice. But I'm going to also judge them for their great sins against God. Though Habakkuk doesn't fully understand the ways of God, by chapter 3, he stops arguing with God and he starts praising God. Somebody read the closing verses, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. So the idea is that we're going to move on to our first theological theme, which is living by faith. Habakkuk did not understand the plans of God. Uh, he didn't understand why God wasn't judging the sin that he saw in Judah. And he was even more confused by God's plan to use Babylon as an instrument of divine judgment. The Lord agreed with Habakkuk's description of the Babylonians... Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And yet, he said, the righteous shall live by faith. We have to trust God's plan even when we don't understand it because we trust God. Does that make sense? The, our understanding of what is happening in the world, even the many things that we don't understand happening in the world, has to be seen through the lens of our understanding of the character of God. That enables us to praise God even when we don't understand all of the nuances and intricacies of his plan uh, because we are living by faith and not by sight. Romans 1, somebody read Romans 1, 17. And then Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Do you 
you see, that theme, which we find in the book of Habakkuk, is brought out in the New Testament writers who, again, say, the righteous shall live by faith. We will not always understand every detail of God's plan, but we trust in God. Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you always live by faith? What is the opposite of living by faith? What do you think? Fear might be the opposite of faith. What else, Gary? What did you say? Worry. Worry. Good. Doing your own thing. Okay, doing your own thing. Explain. He, we were, he's referencing what this famous passage, or rather infamous passage in the book of Judges, where we read, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's a, that's a contrast of living by faith. Do you ever struggle with that? Is it hard to live by faith? Is it easy to live by faith? Some of you who are older, does it get easier to live by faith or harder? What do you think? So it's, it's easier because you've seen the, the faithfulness of God through your life. Other thoughts? Yes, sure. That's, that's a good point. The whole, it's been said that the whole life uh, of, the, of the Christian is a life of repentance um, because we do often forget. We should, we should know and we should remember, and God certainly, as we age, gives us more <laughs> things to remember so we have a greater storehouse to, um, to pull from as we remember his faithfulness. But sin still lurks at the, uh, at the edges of our heart causes us to fall back into fear, into worry, into saying, well, I know you took care of me yesterday, God, but what about today? You know, will you be faithful again today? I think we wonder about that sometimes. How so? He struggled brings you back to faith. I think you're right, but how, why do you think that? Good. That's a good good point, Frank. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Yes. So living by sight as sort of thinking, oh, I see this issue very, very clearly. I know the exact solution to do. 
<laughs> and furthermore, uh, if you disagree with me, you are wrong, and you are probably a bad person, and you probably don't care, right? I think we sometimes all, yeah, right, exactly, right. So there's only one way, and so, again, there's, sometimes there's more than one way to achieve the same goal. Yes. That's a good point. Gary, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think the opposite of faith is uh, doubt. Mm. So, you know, bringing in the uh, Baltimore drama part of this, there's, there's evidence presented, and on the other side of town, just create doubt. Uh, you, know, you, know, you can't, you know, you can't say the Bible's got to live by faith without understanding what he says later about faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's evidence. And as I get older, uh, I'm seeing more and more of that evidence. Mm -hmm. And it's not something I can avoid. It's something that's got to be real. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, faith, faith is not, sometimes we think about faith as sort of a, a blind faith or <coughs> a leap into the unknown. But in the Bible, uh, faith is believing God based on his evidence and track record of faithfulness, not only to us, but to the Israelites and to the people of the, Old, of the New Testament and uh, we see it in the lives of Peter and Paul and James and John and Mary and Joseph and Esther and Ruth and all these, David and Joshua. We see over and over again that we have very good reason to trust in God. We're never asked to sort of blindly trust God. We're asked to trust him informed by a knowledge of who he is. Does that make sense? Yeah, and one of the verses. Yes, that's a good point. Good point. Well, how about this? Um, we talked a little bit about this already. What is faith? Is it the same thing as optimism? Is it the same thing as positive thinking? Why or why not? You know, sometimes we might say, well, I believe that Alabama is going to win the championship this year. I believe it. I know. Is, is, that, is that what faith is? Or I believe that... Uh, you know, whatever. The Yankees are going to turn around this year. You know, we sometimes speak about that. I've got faith. Is that faith? Well, that, that speaks to your hope. Mm, yes. But faith is knowing. Mm, good. That's a good point. Uh, the difference between hope and faith, which is, you know, knowing, having a firm, confident, subtle belief. Don, what do you think? <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Yes. I'm going to try to clear this. I don't want to encapsulate it. But, you know, in James it says, to count it all joy when you encounter diverse trials and temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. And we all have trials and we all have temptations in different, different ways. But God uses those trials to help and to allow us to learn. So when we have these things, 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that faith is not the same thing as positive thinking. It's trust in the promises of God, which is then even strengthened by our questions, our doubts, our fears, our trials. Because when those things happen, we realize the reality that God is big and we are small. And we are powerless to really fully grasp all these nuances of the plan of God and to overcome the, the challenges that we face in life, to conquer the sins that sort of beset us and are working against us. And so we need to trust in God who is able to deliver us, who is able to bring about um, his ultimate purposes in, in the world. Good, good, good. All right, well, good. Uh, how about this? We'll look at the next theme. The next theme is justice. Though the world seems to be an unjust place, God will bring justice for his people. Here's the verse that Gary was quoting earlier. Somebody read Habakkuk 2.14. Gary, why don't you read it? You quoted it earlier. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So right now, uh, it does not look like we're headed in that direction. Right? It does not seem like... Hey, boy, it gets better every single day. You know, I just, I turn on the news, and it's just like good news after good news. And eventually, uh, the whole world will be cover, covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It doesn't seem that way. And yet, we have the promise that it will happen. And so, we live by faith and not by sight. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point, that, that, that we are seeing fulfillment of this, even in a nation like China, where uh, it's always hard to know because to get the exact uh, numbers within a communist country like that is difficult. But it is conceivably possible, based on the population of China, that there are more Chinese Christians than American Christians. It's very, very possible. Now, again, we don't know, but... All of these things are happening. God is doing a great works in Iran. Uh, God is doing great works in very closed countries. And so we're seeing the fulfillment of that even now. All right, how about this? How does the knowledge of the glory of the Lord produce a just society? Should we wait for justice or should we work for justice? What do you think? Let's take those in order. How does knowledge of the glory of the Lord produce a just society? What do you think? God says vengeance is mine. So ultimately there's going to be a just society. Mm -hmm. But there might be a just society now. We've got to work for it. Okay, so Gary's saying, hey, we've got to, we got to work for that now. Um, there will ultimately be a just society. Yes. What do you guys think? 
So uh, seeing the knowledge of the, or having the knowledge of the glory of God makes us want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, which affects the way that we live in the world. Is that, is that fair? Is that a good uh, summary of what you're saying? Good? Yes, what do you think? Yeah, so it, it humbles us, and then that humility sort of translates into the way that we treat other people, does it not? I mean, there, if, if, we, if you are a humble person, then uh, how likely are you to be a judgmental person? If, if you say, uh, here, here is my sin, and here is what Jesus has done for me, that, that humbles us. And so then we become more patient with other people. It's like the story about the man who was uh, forgiven millions of dollars by the king. And then he goes out and he, somebody owes him you know, a couple hundred dollars. And he's like, hey, you're going to prison until you can pay that off. You know? And it doesn't make any sense. He doesn't understand how much he's been forgiven. If you understand how much you've been forgiven, if you understand the glorious of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the free gift of salvation, then it, it humbles you so that you want to show that same grace or a measure of that same grace to other people. You become more forgiving, more loving, uh, more attentive to people. Kathy, what do you think? That's right. Yeah, the cross really changes the way that we think about justice in the world. Um, ultimately, Jesus dying on the cross satisfied the justice of God. Uh, sin did not go unpunished. Jesus took the penalty that we should have taken, that we justly deserve to take, so that we can receive mercy, so that we can receive grace. That's the, the great exchange that we have received all of the righteousness of Christ, all of our sin was put on Jesus, and so uh, God is both, the just, is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in, in him. Katie, what do you think?
Kate always knows that I ask trick questions, so she uh, perceived, perceived. It's hard to think alike after. Yes, yeah, it's, it's both and. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Why is that? You're right, I agree. I do, I do. I'll use an example, you know, it's kind of in the news lately with, you know, Roe versus Wade and all these decisions coming. I know many of you have, and I have for many, many years, decades even, have worked to bring an end to the injustice of abortion, the injustice of the uh, intentional taking of a life of, of an unborn child. That's something that we work for. But we ultimately know that we are at the same time waiting for the justice of God. We're waiting for the ultimate consummation of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes again and all the wrongs will be made right. So we work for it. We work for justice. But at the same time, we wait ultimately for the fulfillment of this uh, through Christ. All of our works uh, reflect the perfect plan of God as we pursue righteousness and justice in the world. But at the same time, we will never achieve it fully in this life. Even something as dramatic as the perhaps overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision, as monumental as that is, and as much as we want to celebrate that, that's not, that's not the end. We didn't, we didn't win. It's not over. We have to continue to fight for the weak and the vulnerable not just unborn children, that's one example, but at the waterfront rescue mission with addicts and alcoholics and people who are struggling with homelessness and mental illness and disease, prisoners, people in the hospital, all of these things we need to work for, the, for this world to look more like the kingdom of God, even as we wait for the coming of Jesus and the consummation of all things. Does that make sense? All right. Now, let's talk about how this book points to Jesus. We'll wrap up with this. Now, the twin themes of faith and justice, as we said, meet in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into a world that was overwhelmingly corrupt. The people of Israel were being oppressed at the time of his coming by the secular Roman authorities and by the Jewish religious authorities. On the cross... The wrath of God against the injustice of the world was poured out on Jesus. Jesus died an unjust death, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to reconcile us to God. The righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness when we believe. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Having received life through faith in Jesus, we now live by faith, trusting the plans and purposes of God, even when we don't understand all the nuances of God's plan. Here's a quote from Paul Wegener. He writes, God's ways of pre preserving and purifying his people are mysterious to the believer. And yet God calls his suffering people to show faith that God's purposes for the world 
will prevail, a faith that the New Testament authors develop and commend. All right, any questions of the book of Habakkuk? What do you think? I'm thinking about preaching through the book of Habakkuk. It's a good book to preach through. What do you think? Habakkuk, Habakkuk. All right, why don't we close in prayer, and then we'll get, get to the worship service. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the glories of your plan. Even though we do not always understand what you are doing in the world, and even if we cannot always uh, see the world as it truly is, we look, Lord, at the world through lenses of fear, through doubt, through unbelief. And yet, Lord God, we pray that you would give us faith, that we might see things as you see them, that we might see people as you see them. We thank you, Lord, that ultimately your righteousness was fulfilled through the death of Jesus so that we might have grace and mercy and peace through faith in him. We pray, Lord, that uh, we might live as those who have been redeemed from a world of brokenness and sin and pain, that we might be agents of your mercy and redemption in the world as we seek to engage those who are hurting and broken through their sins that they have committed, through sins that have been committed against them. Lord, in many ways, our calling feels overwhelming, and we have so many questions, but we pray that we would live by faith. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.